if you are a person with any inclination at all, any sort of, any tingling of a desire to know God at all, then you are a miracle. And if you know me and my theological inclinations, you know I don't use the word miracle very lightly. And if you don't know, now you know. I do not use the word miracle very lightly, but if you are captivated by, or if you are just intrigued by the character of God, the things of God, the law, the word, the life of God at all, like at all, then you are a miracle. Because a miracle is a work of God. It is a divine work of God completely beyond the natural, observable, measurable scope of our present reality. You are a miracle if you desire to know God at all. You are a miracle if you want to put your trust in God. You are a miracle if you want to put your trust in his redemptive work through his son, Jesus Christ. You are a miracle if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. To put our faith, to have faith in Jesus Christ, and to subsequently, as we read in the psalm earlier, and subsequently obey God and his commandments to live out a life of righteousness and holiness, that is miraculous according to the reading of our scripture today. And I hope that even though the reading, what we read today may seem a little heavy, I hope that this is an encouragement to all of us who may call ourselves Christian, who may be struggling in the faith, who may be struggling to know God, maybe struggling to fall deeper in love with God, maybe struggling to pray, struggling to read the word, struggling to even come here to church today. I wouldn't blame you. It's, it's rainy as hell out there. May it be an encouragement to you that your walk with the Lord is not some thing that you have to struggle to do, but it is a miracle. It is a work of God in your life. Point number one. You're a miracle because you, who had once set your mind... What the frick? You had once set your mind on the flesh... You were hostile to God, but now you are friends of God. Let me say that again. You are a miracle because you who had once set your mind on the flesh, you were hostile to God. But now you are a friend of God. That's right, Deborah. Paul, you know, we're in in Romans chapter 8, which means at one point there was chapter 1. And this is what... Paul says in Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men and women who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, 
They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Romans 8, 7 says that those who set their mind on the flesh are hostile to God. That those who set their mind on the flesh who are not of the spirit, who have not known the things of God, the ways of God, who do not even consider God, are hostile to God and, have, and want nothing to do with God. And, not only, and hostility doesn't just um, express apathy, but expresses active desire to get away, to further yourself, to distance yourself, to put a wall between you and God. And this is the reality of all those who are outside of Christ. Up till now, in Romans chapter 8, Paul has made it very clear that there's only two types of people in the world. Those who are in the flesh and those who are in the spirit. Those who are in condemnation and those for whom there is no condemnation. And for those who are under condemnation and for those who are in the flesh, they are hostile to God. They want nothing to do with God But the reverse is also true, that God is hostile against those who are in the flesh. And the hostility of sinful man against his God is no match for the hostility that God has for sin. And so there is this heavy undertone in this passage because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness of men. And so we, who are hostile to God, must face the hostility of God because of our sin. But the amazing thing is, the amazing thing is, though we have sinned, and though we deserve this hostile, wrathful vengeance of God, we haven't received it. And in fact, we have received something completely other. We have received his son. We have received his son so that through faith in him, through faith in Christ Jesus, we can be saved. Not only that we can be saved, but that we are saved if we put our faith in Christ. There's that famous verse in Romans 3. So we went from Romans 1, now we're in chapter 3. And everyone puts this verse to tell you how sinful we are. But there's a second part to the sentence in Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that is true, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. When we consider what kind of wrath and what kind of hostility could have possibly be meant for us, we don't need to imagine because all of that was placed upon God's very son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ bore the complete burden of all the sins of all of those who call upon his name. 
And so, in our place, has the Lamb of God borne our sin and in, and in turn borne the consequence and punishment for that sin, acting as our, my favorite word in the Bible, propitiation, acting as the scapegoat, acting as our atoning sacrificial lamb. And so though our hostility separated us from God and God's hostility separated us from him, in Christ, we have been brought together. In Christ, we have been brought together. The dividing wall that was between us and God has been shattered, broken. Remember when Jesus died and he breathed his last breath, Matthew says that the curtain in the temple which divided ordinary people from the holy of holies where God's presence dwelt the curtain which was several tens of feet high it split from the top all the way to the bottom and now there is no dividing curtain there is no dividing wall there is no distance between God and man but Jesus Christ through his blood has brought those who were far off near to the presence and love and life of God in Ephesians 2, it says, Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And so, there's no hostility, there's no dividing wall, there's no separation. But it's not simply that we're, we're on good terms with God. You know those people where it's like, you know, they hurt you, and then you hurt them back, and they're like, all right, we're even now, but you still don't really want to see them, you don't want to talk to them, we're just even, right? I don't have any ill will towards you, but I don't have good feelings towards you either. That's not, that's not what's happening here. That's not what is happening here. Because it's not simply that God, uh, Jesus has taken, taken away our sins and nailed it to the cross, but he has given to us his righteousness. He has given to us his sonship and his daughtership. And so what does Jesus say to his disciples? He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. That's what he says in John 15. I have called you friends. So we went from hostility towards God and God's hostility towards us, and somehow through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross, he calls us friends, and we can call him our friend. How can we be so sure? How can we be so sure that Jesus is our friend? Jesus is the friend of mine. Right before he says, I have called you friends, Jesus kind of puts his qualifier. He says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He says this before he is crucified, just to assure them, just to remind them, hey, you and I are buddies, but just in case you doubted me, I'm going to prove it to you. And he proves it to them. 
in, a, in just a few hours by laying his life down on the cross for them. Because it was for his disciples in that room that Passover night. And it was for his disciples who are sitting in these pews right now. Who at one time called him their enemy. Who, like Peter, three times that night he said, Jesus, I don't know him. I've never heard of this guy in my life. It's for those people that Jesus says, you're my friend. Have you known this kind of grace? Have you known this kind of love? Have you given this kind of love and this kind of grace? If you haven't, it's okay. Jesus has, and he has for you. That's point number one. Point number two, you are a miracle because you, who did not submit to God's law, are now being sanctified by his word. Let me read you again Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, such were some, such were all of us. Again, back to Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness, who by all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We know as creatures created by a creator, we know we have the very law of God imprinted on our hearts. May we, maybe we don't have the Torah memorized. Maybe we, we don't have the Ten Commandments memorized. But because we are a creation of God the Father, we have his law and precepts written on our hearts. It's how you, it's how you can tell the difference between an iPhone and a galaxy because they have different creators and the marks of their creators are inherent in the phone themselves all right and in, in a much don't shake your head at me Brian <laughs> all right in much the same way just as these created things have certain serial numbers and imprints and designs of their creator we too have the imprint and the law and the morality of our creator God Right, And Paul makes this point in Romans 2. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And so when we are in the flesh, when we are outside of Christ, when we are under condemnation, we do not submit to God's law. But when we are in Christ, we do. We do submit to God's law. And we submit to his word. And I know these days, submission is kind of a dirty word. Uh, you know, ever have that pastor who gave the, uh, the wife submit to your husband's sermon? It's a spicy sermon. Right? Submission is a very spicy, very, very hard topic to deal with, especially in today's context, as our country is still grappling with the, you know, the effects of slavery and how do, we, how do we reckon with that? And women have only been voting for like 100 years. Like how do we grapple with this? And yet, those who are in Christ are called to submit first and foremost to the word of God. In James 4, 7, submit, them, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
But not only are we called to submit to God's word, but through the word, we're called to submit to one another. I'm not going to go into gender roles or family roles or church roles right now. But in Ephesians 5.21, Paul says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If we submit to the word of God, we will submit to one another. Romans 12, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And if you can do that, if we can even attempt that, you are a miracle. And so you are a miracle because at one time you were uh, hostile towards God, but now you are friends of God. You are a miracle because you did not submit to God's law, but now you are being sanctified by his word. And finally, you are a miracle because you who could not submit to God's law have been made righteous in Christ Jesus. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can not. The reason why Paul is so adamant about this two-category thing, right? Either you're in or you're out. Either you're under condemnation or you're not. Either you're in Christ or you're not. It's because it's not a matter of um, we don't, like, it's not a matter that we don't submit to God's law. The issue is that we can't submit to God's law. We are utterly incapable, completely incapable in and of ourselves to submit to God's law on our own. Christianity is not about healing primarily. It's about resurrection. Christianity does not say, you're kind of messed up, but if you follow steps A, B, and C, you're going to get better. Every other religion in the world says that, but Christianity says you were dead. You had nothing in and of nothing you could do could make you undead because dead people don't just get up. But through the power of Christ and his resurrection, these dead dry bones become alive. And so our life is not our own, it's the life Christ has given us. Our righteousness is not our own, it's the righteousness Christ has given us. Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We were unable to come to God. We were unable to do good works before God. In our sin, we were completely dead, but in Christ, we are made completely alive. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done, not you, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Brothers and sisters, would we live as though we have experienced the miracle of no longer being in bitter hostility against God, but in intimate friendship? And would we live in that miracle and seek God in prayer and fellowship, just as we would a close friend? Would we live as though we are living in the miracle that one time we no longer submitted? Uh, would we live as though we are living in the miracle that we are no longer submitting to our sinful desires, but we are submitted to the word of God? And would we love and cherish and feast upon the banquet of scripture and feast upon the fellowship of believers? Don't feast upon the believers, but I mean feast upon the fellowship, okay? And would we live in the miracle of being able to live unto the righteousness that was won for us? The righteousness that was won in us. The righteousness that was won through us by the blood of Christ. And one time, we were in the flesh and we were hopeless. But now, because we call upon the name of Christ, because we live in Christ, we are a miracle. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you do not leave us alone in our sin to experience the wrath and hostility of a God who has so much more wrath and hostility than we could possibly imagine. But you have brought us into a friendship, a friendship of hope, a friendship of peace, one that allows us and uh, get, uh, frees us to live in the way that you intended for us to live. To live according to your word, to submit to your word. To live in fellowship and peace among your people, this covenant community of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, may we remember that we can do no good thing apart from your Holy Spirit. But thank you, Lord, that you gave us your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you have brought us out of death and into life. even though we're still not quite there, but we can, we can please you with our words, we can please you with our actions because of what you have first done for us. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing grace. In Jesus' name I pray.